want to welcome you to Conversations with Yolanda. I'm so excited to have you join us today. And I'm really excited about my conversation with Dr. Dennis Kimbrough. Dr. Dennis Kimbrough, thank you for joining me. Oh, Yolanda, it's an honor. I am um, truly blessed. Yes, it's. I've, I've, I've been a fan. I've been reading your books. And one of the things that I'd like to start off uh, with just asking you, I know you do a lot with students. You, your books are fabulous. My one of my favorite one is the Wealth Choice, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, tell me, what is one thing that that you feel like is missed when people are building their brand or their career? Um, well, there are a number of things that yes. need to be done, but a brand is just a uh, it's it's just you know who you are from an excuse me from an authenticity standpoint. Yes. There are five laws of branding and arguably the the two most important number one is law of leadership. Yeah. And what in the world is law of leadership? Do what you've been sent here to do. Law of leadership focuses on your unique talents and your unique gifts. You know, just to use a sports metaphor, Yolanda, everybody's got a home field advantage. And what is your home field advantage? When you focus in on your strengths. And the only way to identify your strengths or identify your area of excellence is to ask yourself, be somewhat introspective and ask yourself three critical questions. Number one, what do I love to do? Mm -hmm. What do I have a passion for? What can I throw my whole heart and soul into? Question number two, what would I do for free? I mean, if if no one ever paid me a dime or gave me remuneration for my efforts, what would I do for free? Because when you're doing what you love to do, when you would do it for free, your work is your play. And then last question, if you can't answer the the previous two, go to those people who you respect and admire and ask them, what do you see me as? What do you think I would be good at doing? When you identify your area of excellence, there are two things that you never have to worry about in life. Number one, you never have to worry about employment. Mm Mm-hmm. Because everybody wants to be associated with the best. Exactly. I mean, what does, uh, you know, Mercedes-Benz say? The best of nothing. What does Lexa say? The relentless pursuit of perfection. And then number two, you never have to worry about income. Yeah. Because the marketplace will seek you out. And marketing is called the top of mind status. Yeah. If I say to you, Yolanda, when you think of hotels, what do you think of? I think of Ritz Carlton. I mm-hmm. think of um, uh, right there. Um, oh man, right on the tip of my tongue on uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think of all the top resorts. When you think of a car, what do you think of? I think of BMW. I yes. think of Mercedes Benz. I think of okay. When you think of someone that you desperately need to call on to get the job done, get it on time, under budget, to the best of ability, someone who is completely empowered. Who do you think of? You better hope that they say you. Yes. <laughs> so exactly. The bottom line, somebody better get excited about your life, and you better pray it's you. Yes. So that's the law of leadership, and then the law of authenticity. Mm-hmm. Be you, because yes. everybody else is taken. Absolutely. That is so good. And I think we forget that a lot of times, and we think it's about everything else but that. But the other stuff comes as we walk in those principles. And I know uh, when we're we're building our career, we we do run into some challenges. What are some of the challenges you faced early on when you started out in your career? And and how did you beat them? How did you kind of push through? Okay, it's almost like a better question would have been, uh, were there any challenges that you didn't face? No, <laughs> because there, there, were, there were you know a plethora of them. Yes. 
Well, number one is the challenge that we all face, and that is believing in yourself. Yes. So, I think I lost you. Did I lose you? So, Pat, you give me five years and I'll figure this money-making thing out. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was cocky. I was full of myself. I needed to be humbled and blah, blah, blah. What I thought would take five years took more than 18. Mm. But the bottom line, I would like to think, yeah, well, I finally figured it out. So what, what was the challenge? What I thought would have been an 18 month process going around the country interviewing successful African Americans you heard the story where mm -hmm. I wrote a list of 50 then it grew to 100 then 150 blah 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 all this and now that I thought Yolanda was going to take me 18 months mm. well it, it took me better than 5 years wow I know wow. and in the 5 and in the 5 years you name it and it happened uh, except that our health, nothing from that standpoint occurred, but we got behind on our mortgage, uh, did lose two cars, um, utilities were cut off, mm -hmm. uh, this, that, and the other, and all, all the things, but the bottom line, the Bible says it came to pass, not it came to stay, and that, yes. you know, for somebody else, maybe they didn't have to go through that, mm -hmm. but I did. Why? Because I was working out my own salvation. Yes. Yes. And that's and that's the bottom line. Uh, you know, I don't know. You get a dream. I don't know what you're going to encounter. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know, you know. But the, here's the key. Mm -hmm. If you knew who walks beside you every day of your life on this journey called life, and Yolanda, this journey called life is nothing but a classroom. And unlike yes. any other classroom that we've been exposed to, you're both the teacher and the student. Yes. If you knew who walks beside you on this journey called life, you would never doubt or fear again. Yes. And so during that time period, and I was two years into my first book when W. Clement Stone with the Napoleon Hill Foundation called me up and knocked me back to square one because he wanted me to finish uh, Napoleon Hill's last book. And, and I don't even know, Yolanda, if I would have done that. Because mm. after that fateful meeting on November 4th, 1986, when I got back home and I had his manuscript, if you ever come to Atlanta or the Southwest yes. Cab area, and, you know, we hook up, you come to my study and I will show you the last 100 written pages of Napoleon Hill right wow. there. In my wow. Wow. I, I guess I need to put in a safe deposit box. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> but here's the thing. When I got home, I mean, months passed and I wasn't working on I was still working on what makes the great great. Mm. And after two or three months, my wife came to me. I was in my study. She said, when are you going to start, you know, working on the other book? And yes. I told her, I said, Pat, I'm not feeling it, man. I mean, I want to finish my book. This is what I poured my whole heart and soul into. And she said, well, you need to call them up. You need to tell them something because they think you're working on their book. <laughs> and exactly. so, you know, I said, okay, let me... Let me do something. So I wrote 90 pages, Yolanda. Mm -hmm. I overnighted it, sent it to the Napoleon Hill Foundation. They read it. They threw it in the trash. Ah. I said, I said, no problem. 
I'm a big uh-huh. boy. I can take it. This yes. time I wrote 125 pages, sent that overnight. They read it. They threw that in the trash. I know. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Wow. But after, the, after they did it a second time, the executive director, a gentleman by the name of Mike Ritt, who for the majority of his life was Napoleon Hill's personal concierge. Ah. He traveled with Hill. Wow. He made the flight arrangements. He got the hotel. He got the venue. And he audio taped all of his presentations. Mm. He called me up and he said, Dennis, we, we got your writings and fear not. You're an excellent writer. Um, we think we're, we're going to be happy with this relationship, but you've got to do us a big favor. And I said, sure, anything. What is it? They said, take your doctorate. Take your PhD. Put it on a shelf. You won't need it for this assignment. Mm. Wow. I said, what do you mean? He says, we want you to write this book as if you're writing a letter to a friend. Mm. Some of the, the two two best pieces of advice, uh, well, I shouldn't say the two best, but two that are up there mm-hmm. that I received and I adhere to. Number one, when I was writing my dissertation, my committee chair said to me, don't write it in an area in a field in which only two people in the Western world are going to read it. See your dissertation as your first book. Mm. So that's why I chose wealth and poverty among underdeveloped folks. Because I said, all right, this is gonna be, I'm going I'm to do what I want to do in this area that I can build on. Yes. And then the Napoleon Hill Foundation giving me that piece of advice. So what it did, it changed my writing style. Ah, yes. See, prior to that advice, I would write, okay, Yolanda, here's a black woman who had a tough time trying to reach success. Mm-hmm. That's what I would write at one uh, time. I wouldn't write that now. After their advice, I said, Yolanda, here's a black woman who climbed the back stairs to success. Mm-hmm. Now, which one do you feel? Right. That's excellent. Wow. At one time, I would write, yeah, Yolanda, here's a black woman who had to overcome many barriers. I wouldn't write that anymore. Mm-hmm. What I would write, here's a black woman whose entire life was spent at the end of a chain. Mm. Which one do you feel? Exactly. And the reason why that was key, because that was forcing me to stay true to my target audience, which mm-hmm. was black America. Yes. I mean, I've done it with my students. I played, you know, I played... Uh, church hymns, Mm -hmm. uh, a white choir and a black choir. And unknowing to my students, my students said, I can't believe Dr. Kimball, that's the same hymn, man. Because when they hear the black choir sing it, I said, what is the critical difference? I said, it was born out of the suffering. They Ah, sang it like they wrote it because that's what they were singing in the slave field. Exactly. That is so good. Born out of the suffering. And we see that. Mm -hmm. We compare the national anthem. Oh, no one can touch. You know, Whitney Houston sang the national anthem. Aretha sang. Born out of the suffering. Absolutely. Wow. So it made me stay true to my target audience. So Uh that's what I do. And um, yeah, that's a part of being authentic. Exactly. Who you are. Yeah. And, and what, what do you, what would you say? You know, people always say, what is your superpower? What is that thing that when you walk in a room, people like want it for you? What do you feel that like that is when you go into different settings? What is that skill or that superpower per se that people really want to grab a hold to? 
Well, that's uh, we all have that. We all have that secret yes. component. Uh-huh. And you know, the Bible has says fifty million times in the course of that book yes. complete that complete thy noble task yeah and what is that noble task like i said to do what you've been sent here to do but it means a little bit more than that mm-hmm. it means you know well at least show up at least blow right. the dust off your resume exactly. upgrade it blackmail at least get some clothes that mm-hmm. fit at, le- at least you know show up on time man. Absolutely. at least act like you want it mm-hmm and, you know, it's a, it's the same thing that we One of the things that I teach my students all the time is I teach them how to walk into a room. Yes. Okay, so here I am. I'm in my office at Clark Atlanta. If, if uh, the former first lady, Michelle Obama, mm-hmm. if she was about to give a presentation in Atlanta and her plane landed at Hartsfield-Jackson right now, mm-hmm. which is 17 miles away, I could feel it. Mm-hmm. I, I could feel, and that's what's meant in the biblical phrase when Jesus yes. said, who touched me? Yes. Okay, imagine Beyonce walking out of the venue after she gives a concert. Man, mm-hmm. people are, are pulling at her. People are giving her, here's a mixtape of my cousin. Right. Man, tell me if it's any good. Here, I'm going <laughs> to exactly. download a video of my niece. She dancing. She wants to be one of your background dancers mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, just some Beyonce, they just want to touch her, put the arms around. Imagine what it was like for Jesus when he walked out yes. of the village. Yes. They're ripping at his robes. They're grabbing him and blah, blah, blah. 50 million people got their hands on him. But one woman mm-hmm. forced Jesus to say, who touched me? Exactly. Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? 50 million people touched you. He said, no, only one touched me. Wow. In other words, only one tapped into the spirit. Exactly. Your mother lives in L.A. You live in New York. It's Mother's Day. You sent her a card. And she opens up the card on Mother's Day, calls you up. And she says, I received your card. It was so touching. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to you. That goes back to truth. That goes yes. back to, you know, and that is a power. And a part of that power, Yolanda, is conviction. Mm-hmm. And what is conviction? Conviction is a force multiplier. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's the Napoleon Hill, and I'm a Johnny come lately, okay, people, and I'm honored and I'm humble, but I haven't done anything that two people didn't do. Number one, your most prolific scholar, W.B. Du Bois, mm-hmm. he wrote a book in 1897, right. and in your promo, you talked about the wealth choice, and I'm humbled and I'm honored, but he mm-hmm. wrote a book in 1897 called The Negro in Business. Yes, he, I have that one. <laughs> yes, when he was a professor here at Atlanta University during uh-huh. the summer months, he got on a train and went up and down the eastern seaboard and interviewed black business owners. Mm. Does that sound exactly? Does that sound? He was doing this in eighteen ninety seven. Exactly. Wow. I never and thought Napoleon about it like that. Napoleon Hill was doing it at the turn of the century in nineteen oh eight. Now, what do they have in common? You know, conviction, a force multiplier. There are 50 million different desires that people might have. Mm-hmm. Okay, you go back, you check out my wife, all right? She's yeah. home, she wants a desire, she wants to upgrade the deck, she wants to do this, she wants to do 50 million things around the house. We all have desires. Yes. But that's just a human desire. But what, there's a big difference between that and a burning desire. Yes. And Yolanda, what is a burning desire? It is an inner candle, it is an inner flame that cannot be extinguished. Yes. And though the doubters might come, the cynics might come, the critics might come, people will laugh, people will, you will use their cynicism, you will use their doubt to Mm -hmm. propel you forward. Yes. 
And though the worst may go before you, conviction, a force multiplier, you say, this brick wall, this obstacle, I'm going through it. Right. And we all have that, mm -hmm. but so few people do it. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. What is one of the things that you you feel like the, that the next generation needs to know about entrepreneurship? Uh, not much because <laughs> yeah. they, they take it and they run with it. Exactly. They say the hell with it. I don't listen. And they stay true to the, to the pure definition of entrepreneurship. Yes. See, I use the same definition that's taught at Harvard B school. Mm -hmm. What is entrepreneurship, Yolanda? It is pursuit of an opportunity without any regard to the resources at hand. Mm -hmm. So in other words, I don't have the contacts. I don't have the money. I, you know, uh, Hey, my networking is, is, is sort of thin, but I don't care. This one opportunity, I'm going to pursue it come hell or high water. Yes, yes. That's true. And there are five phases to entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. You know, you, there's a, all right, you've got two million black businesses in the United States, and 99.9% oh. .9 of them are all sole proprietors, okay? Mm -hmm. And for the most part, they're sole proprietorships. They're not entrepreneurs. Right. Just because you own a, a hamburger stand at the corner doesn't make you an entrepreneur. But if you own a Wendy's, a Burger King, a McDonald's, they're going to make sure that you go through all five phases. Right. That's entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And exactly. the number one stumbling block for black businesses isn't the lack of capital. The number one stumbling block is getting through phase three of entrepreneurship, which is team building. It is going from sole proprietor, going from entrepreneur to manager, and then yes. from manager to leader. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. That See, I interviewed I interviewed Lisa Price, of Carol's daughter, and she was very transparent with me because I was asking defining moments and this, that, and everything. And a defining moment for her was getting through phase three. Mm. She had the product; everybody wanted it. Natural hair. Yes. I mean, they were, the customer was tripping over herself, himself to go ahead and get it. But she was losing money. As soon as she would hire somebody, they were leaving the back door. Mm -hmm. So she hired a consultant, and 30 to 45 days later, the consultant says, Lisa, I know the problem. Sit down. I got to tell you. She says, sure, share with me. I need to know. He said, you don't know how to treat people. Wow. You hire them on Monday, they're leaving on Tuesday. Yes. And that's the thing, man. People don't care about you until they realize how much you care about them. And you go back. You go back to, you know, um, the tipping point, uh, mm -hmm. Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. And I don't know if you ever read it. But I did, yes. 330 pages, and the underlying theme and tipping point, according to Gladwell, is that any problem, Yolanda, I don't care what the problem is. I don't care if the problem's the athlete's foot. I don't care if it's shaving bumps. I don't care if it's alcoholism. I don't care any problem. I, can't, I don't care if you can't find your father with a roadmap. I don't care if it's cancer. I don't care if it's unemployment. According to Malcolm Gladwell, any problem can be solved mm -hmm. if only enough people care. Yes. Yes. You look at the plight of black, black males right now, man. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough people who care. We're in denial. Right. We are in denial. And that's why we need to study Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, there are 50 million different rehab programs, 50 million different, you know, I don't care, addiction programs across the globe, 50 million. What makes Alcoholics Anonymous different? Mm -hmm. And why are they successful? 
because they won't let you wallow in denial. Yeah. As soon as you step into the facility, out of your mouth says, good morning, my name is John Doe, and I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. They won't let you wallow. You no, know, come on, man. Exactly. The brutal facts, because if you don't solve this addiction, if you don't address your problem, mm-hmm. in the long run, this will probably kill you. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where we are with black males, man. Come on, in man. Denial. Let's go, brothers. Let's yes. go, fellas. Let's, let's do it. What? Everybody's talking about reparations mm-hmm. right about now, this, that, and everything. And I'm saying we are not. And, you know, people will doubt the community. You got folks believing that reparations is going to be handled to probably take the GDP and divide it by the population of black America, 34 million, and everybody's going to get a check for 50,000. I hope that doesn't happen. If it does, I hope it doesn't happen anytime soon Mm -hmm. because our level of financial literacy is so low. They give us that check on Monday, Tuesday. It's it's gone. Exactly. We're not ready for that. Right. So what we need, we need a three-pronged approach. Mm-hmm. Approach number one, okay? And it's in the field of education. This mm-hmm. is the only country, ours is the only country, Yolanda, that pins, that connects the quality of your education to home values. Mm-hmm. So what the hell does that mean? Mm-hmm. That means you come to Atlanta, a kid that lives on Johnson Ferry Road will receive a, receive a far better education than a kid living in a college park. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. The kid who lives on Johnson Ferry Road doesn't even need an education because he got his mom and daddy who could pick up the phone, email, connections, blah, exactly. blah, blah. Exactly. And that's what you're seeing now with these white folks getting their kids in these, you know, in these, these schools. Exactly. They're paying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They're, they're making fun at you. Application. My child ain't filling out no application. Right. I just picked up the phone, man. Exactly. Uh, applica- application for that kid in college park. Let him fill out the application. Paid him $25. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wow. that's number one. That's number one. Make sure that don't take the home values out, man. Make sure the education is equal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number two. Number two. You got to go compensation. You got to pay women dollar for dollar what you pay a man. Mm-hmm. And why is that so critical in the black community? Because it's more than 70% of the black families in our community. Mm-hmm. I mean, f- f- forget women, you know, being, you know, being a co-partner, women are the only breadwinners in the home. And if you paid black women dollar for dollar what you pay me, mm-hmm. and because more than 70% of the families in the black community are held up by what that sister brings to the table. You ready mm-hmm. for this, Yolanda? Mm. You were probably in poverty in the black community. Wow. Did you hear yes. what I said? You yes. would probably end poverty in the black community mm. if I if they paid you the same dollar that they pay me. Exactly. exactly. So instead of that sister with the two kids, you know, blah blah blah, in, in the apartment, she might be able to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And now she's got equity. When you got equity, economics one on one, girlfriend, you got choice. Exactly. Absolutely. Wow. And then that's number two. And then number three, what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Of the two million black businesses, 99 are sole proprietorships. What do we got to do for number three? <laughs> you got to find a way to get us through phase three of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Get us from sole proprietorships to hiring five to seven exactly. people per business. 
Wow. If you did those three things, brother, you can print the business cards up. It's game over. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's so good. I you can uh, do it in any order. <laughs> uh huh. Um, I I always I always say that um, I do a lot of work with many in the faith based many faith based leaders in the marketplace. What advice mm-hmm. would you give them with the just the impact that they can make, kingdom impact they can make? Well, the, you know, the, the, to me, I take it from two different angles. People uh-huh. say to me, "Oh man, Dr. Kimmel, there's a financial deficit," and blah blah blah. I said, "No, there's no financial deficit in this country. There's a spiritual deficit." Mm-hmm. And and really, capitalism is spiritually based. Because when I say spirit, every step towards truth mm-hmm. is a step towards progress. Yes. And that's why Jesus kept teaching and teaching and teaching Yolanda. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about success. Yes. He wanted people to focus on the true idea mm-hmm. of who you are. Yes. The true idea. If you knew who you really are, there's Moses at the Red Sea, and here comes Pharaoh's army, and blah, 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 and everybody, here comes the doubters and haters. Moses, look what you did. You led us up against the sea. We're going to be drowned, and we're going to be trampled by Pharaoh's army and what did what did Moses say? Moses say, you know, how many times must the Lord of Heavenly Hosts perform yes. a miracle for you? Yes. Take a good look at Pharaoh's army because you will never see him again. Mm. In other words, this is the basement floor. Exactly. This is a, and, and, and I did the same thing. And when I got to that, you know, year seven, when I finally had conviction, enough is enough. You want to take the house? Take the house. People ask me all the time, Dr. Kimbrough, what is the difference between the guy who works in corporate America and leaves after five years, and after five years, nothing's happened in his business, about to lose his house, about to lose his car, and instead of falling on tough times, he blows the dust off his resume and jumps back into corporate America. What's the difference between him and the other guy who works in corporate America five years, leaves after five years, you know, gets behind on his mortgage, about to lose his car, and instead of blowing the dust off his resume and jumping back into corporate America, he says, take the house, take the car, I can't do this. Mm. What is the difference? One guy is afraid of losing his house and his car. Another guy is afraid of losing his life. Mm-hmm. That's work. That's the, that's the point. That's where I was, Yolanda. Exactly. I said, wow. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't take it, take it, bro. Here, let me get out of the way. Here's the keys to the front door. Uh-huh. Bye. Uh-huh. Do whatever. What did Jesus told Judas? He said, "Do whatever you must do, but do it quickly." Yeah. Take the car. You already took two of them. Take it. I can't do it. Yeah. That's not me. That's not being true to who I am. Exactly. Wow. That's so good. You know. And that's and that's spiritual. So number one, to answer your question, mm-hmm. a spiritual deficit, and number two, faith base. All right, you mm-hmm. got between seventy-two and seventy-five thousand black churches in the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. Of those seventy-two to seventy-five thousand, on a weekly basis, on a weekly basis, they collect what about forty, fifty million dollars a week in tithes and offerings. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's you know eighty to two hundred million dollars a month. I mean, you go ahead and do the calculus. That's right. a lot of cash. Yes, yes. Um, so you know the problem isn't lack. The problem is what you do with your earnings. Yes. What do you do with your talents? What do you do with your gifts? 
what do you do with everything that I blessed you with? What are, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And that's the critical question. Yes. What are you doing? Wow. Yeah. Wow. You have, be, do, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Whatever you want. When are you going to do it? That's why in the Wealth Choice one, I had the six focus groups, and I got a chance to see how a millionaire behaves around his, his or her peer group. Mm-hmm. And I took notes with both hands, and that's when I came up with the calculus of compensation. These folks are completely different. Completely different, man. Whoa. And that is the, the inherent difference between the have and the have not. Yes. All you need to do is exchange the data on the discounts. That's all you need to do. But as mm. we know, some people would rather die yes. than, than to change their mind. Exactly. Wow. Whenever Jesus rode into a village or walked into a village and he healed the sick and he healed the homeless and he healed the depressed and frustrated, his famous last words were, now go and sin no more. The Latin derivative of the word capital, it means head. Mm-hmm. This, this, this game is all about thinking. Yes. Yes. You know, I always say entrepreneurship is about finding solutions to problems. What is a problem that you feel entrepreneurship could solve? Oh, yeah. Well, that's how, that's what entrepreneurs do. Mm-hmm. And I ask my students all the time, if I gave you a million dollars, what problem would you solve? Right. If I gave you a billion dollars, what problem would you solve? Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, don't talk about it, Bruno Mars. Don't brag about it. Come show me. I mean, don't do, go ahead and do it. Because when, and you've heard me say this before, when Zuckerberg came up with Facebook, when Chad Hurley came up with YouTube, mm-hmm. when Reed Hoffman came up with LinkedIn, when uh, Evan Spiegel came up with Snapchat, when since you know Eric Sinstrom came up with uh, Instagram, they came up with these social media platforms to change the world. Yes. Some poor girl in Johannesburg can be given a school uniform. Now she can go to school. Some poor girl in you know, Bangladesh can receive adequate drinking water. They didn't come up with these social media platforms for people to gossip. Yeah. So we're, we're missing a key opportunity because the moment that you get your smartphone mm-hmm. and you go online, there are 4.5 billion people online with you. Yes. What are you doing? So 4.5 billion people, you know, for you to share your ideas, for you to share your vision, for you to change the world, for you to place your fingerprints on life and prove you were here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. prove you were here. Yeah. And that's a critical question. Yes. If you didn't if you didn't show up at this particular time in this hour, what would the world miss? Right. Exactly. That's good. If your present employer didn't hire you, what would what would they miss? Clockland, right. you don't hire me, you're gonna miss a lot. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. What impact are you going to be making? What are they, what yeah. are they going to miss if you're not there? Absolutely. Yep. It's all about making a difference. Wow. I cannot believe our time is almost up. Like I have one more question yeah. before we end. And that is, you know, you've written several books. And the one book that really stands out to me that I've read a couple of times is The Wealth Choice. And within that book, which person, I know it's a lot of people that you interview, which person still stands out to you? Wow. Wow. <laughs> um, 
Well, of all the interviews that I had from T.D. Jakes to Steve Harvey, I spent a day with Kirk Franklin. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you you name them. I have to go back to the wealth choice when I interviewed Osceola McCarty. But mm. when I look at it under the backdrop of uh, the wealth choice, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, when I, you know, Osceola McCarty and what makes the great, great rather, when I look at the wealth choice, um, there are two individuals. One, um, uh, uh, oh man, right. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, DeZico. Um, this is the story of uh, Trish DeZico. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if you remember yes. that, but she, yeah, she, she got her, she was one of the first to get a degree in computer science at a school up in New Jersey. And she wanted to go out to California and work with one of those fast paced technology companies. And everybody poo pooed it. They said, man, because that was about the dot com revolution and this, that, and everything. Girl, you go out there and you're going to be looking for another job in 90 days, or they won't be able to pay you what you're worth. I wouldn't do it. I would stay right here on the East Coast. Well, she went out there and she hooked up with uh, Microsoft in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, she met Bill Gates. And as she told me in the interview, she didn't think Bill Gates was the owner. She thought that Bill Gates was somebody's son who owned the company. Wow. Because she would see him walking up and down the halls like he was just, you know, traipsing up and down, you know, blah, blah, blah. And sure enough, they couldn't pay her what she worked, but they gave her stock options. Wow. And she told me after four or five years, one day she came to work and the stock split. And mm. then several several months later, it split again. Wow. And then she told me for a while it was splitting every month. And, you know, that was at the four-minute, you know, barrier, mile marker. And then she said after she had been there seven years, she was standing in a pool of liquid gold. Mm, exactly. Exactly. In liquid gold. So mm -hmm. she had choice. And then the other mm -hmm. one, of course, was Roosevelt Peebles. Yes. He was the... Uh, the plastic surgeon, and I remember when I said to him in the interview, I said, "What's a, what's a phase four plastic surgeon, Doctor Peoples?" And a phase four plastic surgeon is Yolanda. Here you are, you walking down the busiest street in your particular town, and for some unforsaken reason, a tractor trailer truck hits you, and your body is splattered into a million pieces. This guy could stitch you back together, and no one would either see a stitch wow. or scar. Wow. And so his business is all referral, mm -hmm. all female, and 99.9 .9 white female, where a plastic surgeon botched the job, and she wants him to clean it up and everything. So I said to him, I said, you know, let me get in your business. You know what this interview is about. What percent of your income do you save? And he said, minimum 25%. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, can you see yourself doing this for the rest of your life? He said, yeah, I can see it, but it won't happen because you got to realize six o'clock in the morning, my knife is hitting somebody's face. Mm. So and he said, I'm in my mid fifties right now. So he said, I just long for the day, which I will retire and me and my wife will buy a sailboat and we'll sail. <laughs> exactly. Wow. That's so good. Yep. Dr. Oh, those, were, those were two powerful, powerful interviews, man. But I had, the, even in the focus groups, man, the, the stories that they were sharing mm -hmm. and this and that. So, 
yeah, over over a seven year period, I know that I, you know, rubbed shoulders about twelve hundred of folks who started from zero and made their financial dreams come true. That is so awesome, and, and that just it, it, I read it because it inspires me. Even when you're starting from the beginning, somebody else did the same thing and they made it to the other side as well. And that, yeah. just that perseverance yeah. and staying focused and connecting and collaborating and networking with the right people with your gifting and your skill set, God just moves you to that next level. So, Dr. Kimbrough, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I could have talked to you all day. I know you have a busy schedule. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. Oh, thank you, Yolanda. You take care and God bless and thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.